This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you on KGMI. Well, we got some second thoughts on Bernanke's Nobel Prize. The Nobel Prize in economics was recently awarded to former Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke, as well as Professors Douglas Diamond and Philip Dybdick, for their work on understanding the role banks play in the economy, especially during a financial crisis. All three of them have done important work that's worthy of recognition. Banks are key parts of the economy that, by assessing their creditworthiness of borrowers, help channel the savings of households and companies into productive investment. Bank failures, in turn, threaten to make it tougher for the economy to direct savings to where they're most useful. However, like many recent Nobels, this award seems to ratify expansionary government policy. Bernanke's approach to the financial panic of 2008 and 9 included a massive bailout of the financial system, monetization of government spending, and a huge expansion in the Federal Reserve balance sheet. The Bernanke approach did not include fixing mark-to-market accounting, which was the key ingredient that turned a limited financial fire into a raging inferno that almost burned down the entire U.S. financial system. In review, in late 2007, the Financial Planning Accounting Standards Board, or FASB, forced financial firms to use market prices to value securities rather than models or cash flow. Within a year, the U.S. was in the middle of the worst financial panic in the 100 years. This was not a coincidence. On the surface, mark-to-market made sense. Markets usually provide transparent and verifiable pieces, so companies couldn't just make up numbers. The problem is that market prices often do deviate, sometimes substantially by always temporarily from underlying fundamental value. Since markets are forward-looking, the MTM, mark-to-market, forced financial firms to take hits to capital over something that might have made and might have happened in the future, but hadn't happened yet. It's like forcing homeowners to come up with more capital as a hurricane approaches because their homes might get destroyed. This, in turn, created a vicious cycle as capital constraints hurt banks undermined the economy and drove asset prices lower, and then destroyed more capital. In 2008, when markets for even prime mortgage-backed securities became illiquid, the financial crisis intensified. Finally, in March of 2009, six months after TARP and QE were put in place, the stock market was still falling. That's when Congress, specifically Barney Frank, started to twist arms, forcing the FASB to loosen up its rules and allow for cash flow to be used when markets were illiquid. This seemingly small adjustment did the trick. Banks were finally able to raise new capital, the stock market surged, and the economy started a long and sustained recovery. This is no more coincidence, but Ben Bernanke, as far as we know, has never publicly discussed it. We find that odd that because Bernanke should be familiar with the damage MTM can do, Bernanke is a student of the Great Depression, and Milton Friedman won the Nobel Prize for his work on the Great Depression as well. In addition, to his focus on money supply, Friedman also wrote about how a MTM rule in the 1930s caused many banks to fail. Not coincidentally, the Roosevelt administration suspended MTM in 1938, and simultaneously the Depression ended. 
Others, including Peter Walson, have written extensively about the economic damage done by the MTM accounting rule, especially to financial markets. Yet, the Fed, other government agencies, and academics have ignored it. Apparently, even if you have solid evidence that TARP and QE really didn't end the 2008 panic, you should be ignored. The only narrative allowed is that free markets caused the crisis and the government saved us. And now, Nobel Prize or not, the bill is coming due on the Abundant Reserves Monetary Policy that is the result of Bernanke's research. The U.S. has its highest inflation rate in 40 years. True, this didn't happen in the aftermath of the 2008 and 2009 crisis because the M2 measure of money remained more stable. But government spending surged much more during COVID and Bernanke's new system monetized it. Having some insights into the whole role that banks play in an economy is not the same as fully understanding the economy. And dismissing the role of MTM accounting seems intellectually dishonest. We have second thoughts about anyone who does. Let's continue with our global roundup for the week. Global equities were slightly higher on the week, while the yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note rose sharply to 4.25% from 4.02% last Friday. The price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil was little changed at $87.75. Volatility as measured by the COBE Volatility Index, VIX, dropped to 30 from 325 And the United Kingdom Tory rebellion forces Prime Minister Truss to resign. British Prime Minister Liz Truss resigned on Thursday after just 44 days in office, making her the shortest-serving parliamentary leader in British history. Truss was forced out by members of her Conservative Party after her plan to reinvigorate economic growth was received poorly by financial markets. A new Conservative Party leader is expected to be chosen within a week, with Truss remaining as caretaker. It is expected that the entirety of the new Prime Minister's low tax, high growth agenda will be swept aside by the incoming government. UK bond and currency markets rallied on hopes of greater policy stability after Truss's departure. And rising rates wrecking havoc on U.S. housing. A closely watched home builders sentiment gauge compiled by the National Association of Home Builders fell further into the red this week, coming in at 38, well below the measure's neutral level of 50. Rising U.S. mortgage rates are more than offsetting the modest declines in home prices seen in recent months, crimping affordability. Freddie Mac reported Thursday that the average rate for a 30-year mortgage loan in the U.S. climbed to 6.94% this week, the highest level in 20 years. Raising rates are more than offsetting modest declines in median home sales. Sales of existing homes fell 1.5% in September from the prior month, the eighth straight monthly decline, making for the longest such stretch since 2007. After beginning the year around minus 1%, U.S. 10-year real yields have surged to 1.8%, the highest level since the global financial crisis, while nominal 10-year Treasury yields have risen as much as 4.33%, the highest since just prior to the great financial crisis. And the U.S. has warned of the move by China against Taiwan. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said Monday that China is planning to annex Taiwan on a much faster timeline than previously thought. The comments came in the wake of a speech by President Xi Jinping to the National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party in Beijing, in which Xi pledged reunification with Taiwan. He says, we will continue to strive for peaceful reunification with the greatest sincerity and the utmost effort, but we will never promise to renounce the use of force, and we will reserve the option of taking all measures that are necessary. On Wednesday, Admiral Mike Gilday, the chief of U.S. Naval Operations, warned that a move by China against Taiwan could come up before the end of 2023. 
And the EU agrees on gas price cap. After months of debate, the European Union has agreed to move forward with a cap on market prices for natural gas and expects to have a mechanism to limit price gains in place in the next several weeks. Europe's main gas benchmark fell 6% on the news. Germany and the Netherlands have been reluctant to adopt a cap for fear that producers would export to countries with higher prices, but they have dropped their opposition. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. Hi, I'm Dan Johnson running for state representative. With increased crime, the cost of living, and students falling behind, our state is heading in the wrong direction. This November, You decide where we go from here. As your next state representative, I will fix these issues. Instead of defunding police and releasing dangerous criminals from prison, I will support law enforcement and give them back the tools they need to keep dangerous criminals off the street. Rather than add more taxes that increase the cost of living, I'll vote to cut property taxes, sales tax, and the gas tax. If you hear this and think, I could sure use a break right now, I'm right there with you because you won't get this from my opponent. My opponent works directly for Governor Jay Inslee. We can't afford another two years of more anti-police laws, higher gas taxes, and more fees that add to the cost of living. If you want something different out of Olympia, you need someone who will vote differently in Olympia. I'm Dan Johnson, and I would be honored to be your next state representative. Paid for by Vote Dan Johnson. Want to save 25% on your utility bill, guaranteed? Call Clean Air. They're the only local heating company to offer a 25% utility savings guarantee. Plus, when you install a new Lennox system with Clean Air, you'll make no payments until 2023 when you finance your new Lennox system for as little as $132 a month and receive up to $1,200 in rebates on the complete Ultimate Comfort System. Don't get stuck with another winter of high energy bills. Call cleanair.com. See dealer for details. Do you know the location of the nearest drop box or voting center? At least 18 days before the general election, a ballot is mailed to every eligible registered voter in the state of Washington. Take time to learn about the candidates and issues before voting. Then mail in your ballot for free as long as it's postmarked by Election Day. Or you can take it to a drop box or voting center before 8 p.m. on November 8th. For the drop box or voting center nearest you, visit VoteWA.gov. Sponsored by the Office of Secretary of State and aired in cooperation with the Washington State Association of Broadcasters and this station. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. As always, we thank you for being with us, and we are Asset Advisors. We're located out in Ferndale on the Pacific Highway. That's north of the Slater Road on your right in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, let's continue on with some of these week's quick hits that we gathered up together here. And market expectations for the U.S. Federal Reserve's terminal policy rate reached 5% this week, but eased on Friday after a Wall Street Journal report suggested that the central bank may slow its tightening pace later this year. The conference board's U.S. index of leading indicators fell four-tenths of 1% in September, Its persistent downward trajectory suggests a recession is increasingly likely before year-end. And inflation in the United Kingdom rose 10.1% year-over-year, while core prices rose 6.5%. Investors are pricing in a significant chance of a 100 basis point, that would be a 1% rise, in the Bank of England's policy rate at their central bank's next rate-setting meeting on the 3rd of November. And Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis President Nell Carey once thought among the most dubbage FOMC members said this week that there's no evidence that core or services inflation has peaked. The Japanese yen continues to retreat against the U.S. dollar, sinking beneath the 150 level to a 32-year low. 
and after a sustained assault by Russia on Ukraine power grid, Ukraine has asked its citizens to conserve energy between the hours of 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. Additionally, part of Kiev will go dark for four hours a day on a rotating schedule. And the United Kingdom retail sales tumbled 1.4% in September compared with the month prior and 6.9% from a year earlier as waning consumer confidence and a mourning period following the death of Queen Elizabeth II led to reduced consumer demand. And Bloomberg reports that the White House is considering limiting China's access to U.S. quantum computing technology. The yield on 10-year German Bund, negative as recently as March, brushed 2.5% on Friday, which is the highest level it's been since 2011. Consumer prices in Japan rose 3% in September as fresh food prices surged. Excluding food and energy, prices rose 1.8%, just below the Bank of Japan's 2% target. In earnings news, with about 20% of the constituents of the S&P 500 index having reported for the third quarter of 22, blended earnings per share, which combines reported data with estimates for those that have yet to report, shows that earnings growth is running at a 1.4%, while sales rose about 8.8% compared with the same quarter a year ago, according to data from FactSet Research. Based on early reporters, U.S. consumer demand remains resilient despite falling real wages. And let's get some more information here on some of these housing news that we received this week. And looking at housing starts, following a brief rebound in August, housing starts resumed their decline in September as relatively high mortgage rates, labor shortages, and ongoing supply chains continue to weigh on builders. Looking at the details, both single-family and multi-unit construction contributed to the headline decline. It is clear that developers are becoming more cautious about future demand for new single-family projects, and at 30-year mortgage rates now above or close to 7%, we're continuing to focus on resources on apartment buildings instead. Over the past year, single-family starts are down 18.5% versus multi-unit starts, which are up 17.6%. Though the brown gaping on new residential projects is now down 20.3% from a peak earlier this year, keep in mind that the construction overall has hardly ground to a halt. Lots of projects are already in the pipeline, with the number of homes under construction at the highest level on record back to 1970. These figures demonstrate a slower construction process due to a lack of workers and other supply chain difficulties. Despite this, building permits for new projects arose a modest 1.4% in September due to the multi-unit sector. The backlog of projects that have been authorized but not yet started is currently just below the recent high since the series started back in 1999. Meanwhile, home builder sentiment, as measured by the National Association of Home Builders Housing Index, is deteriorating. The index fell for a 10th consecutive month to 38 on in October. As index readings below 50 signals that more builders view conditions as poor versus good, the prime concern continues to be higher mortgage rates, which are having a negative impact on potential sales, as certain buyers are at least temporarily priced out of the market, leaving some builders with a surplus of inventory. Housing isn't going to be a source of economic growth in the year ahead, but do not expect a housing bust nearly as harsh as in the 2000s. Unlike the previous housing bust, we do not have a massive oversupply of homes. And going on to existing home sales, we saw that the existing home sales fell for the eighth month in a row in September, posting the longest streak of declines since 2007. However, the declines in August and September have also been the smallest so far in 22, and while it's too early to be certain, sales look like they may be stabilizing. Falling affordability has played a major role in the recent string of weak reports. The prime culprit is the surge in mortgage rates, which are now around 7% for the first time since 2000. 
While financing costs remain a burden, the good news is that the median prices fell for the third month in a row in September. Part of this is just seasonality. Prices typically begin to fall following the summer buying season. And even with recent declines, median prices are still up 8.4% in the past year. That is notable slowing from the 25.2% peak in the 12 months ending May of 21, but still above the 4.8% average seen since 2000. And when you do the math, it's not hard to see why home sales have slowed down so rapidly. Assuming a 20% down payment, the rise in mortgage rates and home prices since December amounts to a 67% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median existing home. The report also showed that the inventory of existing homes on the market remains tight. Available listings fell slightly in September and were virtually flat from a year ago, with the best way to look at the data given the seasonality of the housing market. While this is still notable, improvement following 36 straight months of annual declines that ended in June, don't expect a flood of new listings to materialize anytime soon. Many homeowners locked in mortgage rates at rock-bottom levels during the pandemic and are unlikely to brave a 400 basis point increase in financing costs by re-entering the market to trade up. Despite the lot of auctions, demand remains strong, with buyer urgency so high in September that 70% of existing homes sold were on the market for less than a month. While sales are clearly under pressure, this is not a repeat of 2007 and 2009. We do not foresee a widespread collapse in home sales, even with higher rates, though it is likely that existing home sales wind up lower in 22 than in 21. And in other news, Initial claims for unemployment insurance fell 12,000 this week to 214,000. Continuing claims rose 21,000 to 1.385 million. These figures remain very low by historical standards and are consistent with continued job growth in October. And on the manufacturing front, the Philadelphia Fed Index, which is a measure of factory sentiment in that region, rose to minus 8.7 in October from minus 9.9 in September. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be back after a little quick advertising break. Thank you for listening. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. My name is Monica Mahal, and I'm a pediatrician here in Whatcom County. I'm one of over 100 local nurses and doctors voting yes for Whatcom Kids. A child's brain develops most dramatically during the first five years. The Children's Fund Honor Ballots expands childcare options and supports kids and families of all backgrounds, including our most vulnerable. So join me and vote Yes for Prop 5, the Children's Fund. Paid for by Yes for Whatcom Kids, top five donors, Chuckanut Health Foundation, Children's Funding Accelerator, Lydia Place, Patty Emhoff, and Imco Construction. Enjoy your retirement at Meadow Greens, a retirement community offering warm, welcoming, independent, and assisted living apartments. Located on a premier golf course in beautiful Linden with panoramic views of green rolling hills and snow-capped mountains, Meadow Greens offers a fitness center, wellness programs, tailored social and recreational activities, and complimentary unlimited golf play with cart at Homestead Golf Club. One- and two-bedroom apartments with full kitchens are available, offering the freedom of eating in or enjoying a more social meal at the Outward Nine Restaurant or the Duck Hook Bistro. Then relax with a glass of wine with friends or cozy up next to the fireplace with a good book in the library lounge. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. As a police officer for 25 years, Tasha Dykstra-Thompson was a voice for those someone tried to silence. As our representative, Tasha will once again be a voice for those who've been ignored because Olympia is ignoring our students who've fallen behind. They don't care that their extreme policies have made things less safe and less affordable. But Tasha is different. With Tasha Dykstra Thompson, we will finally have a representative who will fight for us. I'm Tasha Dykstra Thompson. Families in our community should be able to afford a home here, but government regulations can add up to $50,000 to the price of an average home. And property taxes keep going up, even if your income goes down. 
My plan calls for cuts to property taxes and reducing regulations that add to the cost of a home. Read my plan at Tasha.com. That's T-A-W-S-H-A dot com. Paid for by friends of Tasha Dykstra Thompson. CHS Northwest's Backyard to Barnyard Sale starts this Friday. Big or small, fur or feathers, this is a sale for all your critters. Pet food, livestock and poultry feed, pet supplies all on sale. Starting Friday at your local CHS Northwest store. CHS Northwest, everything you need for your farm and garden. The holiday season creates magical moments to connect with your child. Did you know that singing with children or talking about the colors or smells of the season builds their vocabularies and helps their brains grow? As a parent... I'm the most powerful influence in my child's life. By taking a little time every day to talk, read, and sing with them, I'm setting them up for a lifetime of learning from the day they are born. Visit TalkingIsTeaching.org for free tips, ideas, and resources to transform everyday moments into magical moments for learning this season. you love what you find at Wilson's. The leaves are falling, and so are the prices at Wilson's Furniture during their fall savings event. Stop by today and check out the amazing savings you'll find at Wilson's. Open seven days a week on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. Favorites every day on Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 KBay. Kick off your workday with the 9 AM Music Marathon. Over an hour of commercial-free classics. Hit after hit from your favorite artists all day, every day. And the broadcast sponsor of the Bellingham Bells. Listen live online, 98.9kbay.com. Join the fun and be a part of Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 KBay. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. A properly operating furnace will guarantee that you stay comfortable as the seasons change. Contact West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electric for a system inspection today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. We are going to continue with our economic updates for the week. And we had the report come out for the September industrial production and capacity utilization this week. And factory activity surprised to the upside in September, hitting a new record high and signaling that the U.S. economy is not yet in recession. Moreover, data from prior months were revised up as well, adding to the healthy headline gain of four-tenths of one percent. Looking at the details, signs of weakness were sparse in September's report. The utility sector, which is largely dependent on weather, was the only major category to post a decline, falling four-tenths of one percent. Meanwhile, the manufacturing index rose four-tenths of one percent, with both auto and non-auto activity contributing to the gain. Given the recent trend in Americans shifting their consumption preferences back towards services and away from goods, the resilience of manufacturing output has been somewhat surprising. That said, production of consumer goods is up 3.8% in the past year, while production of business equipment is up 8.2%. This signals that investment in capital goods might be beginning to drive demand for the manufacturing sector as end consumers ease up. Notably, capacity city utilization in the manufacturing hit 80% in September, the highest level since 2000. It looks like businesses aren't just investing in new equipment, but making better use of what they already have domestically as well, most likely in response to all of the supply chain disruptions over the past several years. Finally, mining posted a gain of six-tenths of one percent due to the increased pace of extraction of natural gas and other minerals as well as gains in drilling of new wells. Look for more expansion in the months ahead as oil prices and natural gas and other minerals as well as gains in drilling for new wells. Unfortunately, there is still no sign the federal government is lending a hand on the energy front, even with the political kryptonite of inflation raging. For example, potential reforms to the permitting and environmental review process for large energy infrastructure projects have recently killed in the Senate and aren't likely to be revisited until after the midterm elections. Overall, despite the shift back towards services, we expect continued modest gains in industrial production in 22 as demand continues to outstrip supply. 
The report puts industrial production at 3.4% above pre-pandemic levels. Meanwhile, last week's report on retail sales shows that after adjusting for inflation, real retail sales are up at around 13.5% over the same period. This match-match between supply and stimulus-boosted demand shows why inflation remains uncomfortably high. In other manufacturing news, the Empire State Index, which is a measure of New York factory sentiment, fell to minus 9.1 in October from down 1.5 in September. We'll be watching other regional surveys for any sign of a slowdown. You know, I follow a lot of stuff every week, and I found this little report talking about broken promises last week. I ran across the Mercer CFA Institute's newest global pension index report. They look at pension systems by country and rate them for adequacy, sustainability, and integrity. And such comparisons are difficult because pension systems and practices vary so widely, both among countries and within them. But it's a fair attempt to compare everyone against a standardized benchmark. So here's what we found in this results summary. Those countries that are graded A, which have an index value of greater than 80, are Iceland, Netherlands, and Denmark. A first-class and robust retirement income system that delivers good benefits is sustainable as a high level of integrity. Again, that's in Iceland, the Netherlands, and Denmark. A B-plus would have a rating between 75 and 80, we found those in Israel, Finland, Australia, and Norway. And 65 to 75 is B. That's in Sweden, Singapore, the United Kingdom, Switzerland, Uruguay, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, Chile, Belgium, and Germany. And that's a system that has a sound structure with many good features, but has some areas for improvement that differentiates it from the A- minus system. And then the C+, those had ratings of 60 to 65. Well, we find Hong Kong there, the United States, Colombia, France, Malaysia, Portugal, Spain, United Arab Emirates. Now, again, some countries, I don't know if you kind of look at who you're related to here. Or C, C+, those are C-pluses, the Cs, which are rated 50 to 60, Saudi Arabia, Poland, Mexico, Brazil, Peru, Italy, Austria, South Africa, China, Japan, Taiwan, and South Korea. And these basically are a system that has some good features, but also has major risks and or shortcomings that should be addressed. Without these improvements, is efficiency and for long-term sustainability can be questioned. Again, in the United States, a system that has some good features, but also has major risks and other shortcomings that should be addressed. Without these improvements, its efficacy and long-term sustainability can be questioned. Then rated D, which is a 35 to 50 rating, Indonesia, Turkey, and India, Argentina, Philippines, and Thailand. And those are systems that have some desirable features, but also have major weaknesses and or emissions that need to be addressed. Without these improvements, efficacy and sustainability are in doubt. And below 35, well, those are a poor system that may be in early stages of development or non-existence. So kind of interesting to see that pension systems in the United States are rated basically a C. Interesting, interesting for the number of people who depend on those. And we saw this big increase in Social Security payments expected for next year. And it means that Social Security is going to be more valuable than ever, even for millionaires. With the stock market down 25% over the last year, Social Security payments are rising to a maximum benefit of $4,465 or $485 in January. Even wealthy clients are starting to pay more close attention to Social Security. Simply put, rising benefits give investors more options when creating an optimal retirement funding strategy. If you're a millionaire and you have most of your wealth invested and you've seen that wealth go down in the stock market, Social Security is coming in as an important source of income in your overall plan. 
The recent cost of living adjustment, or COLA, is considerable increase from what we've been seeing, especially from the years when we didn't have any meaningful increases because inflation adjustments were so low. In the inflationary environment that we've been in, we've needed to see it come up. The Social Security Administration announced an 8.7% COLA on October 18th, which is the biggest increase since 1981, when the COLA hit 11.2% and reflects ongoing inflation in the U.S., which has been down slightly to 8.3% in October, based on a rolling calculation of prices over the prior 12 months. Social Security benefits increasing significantly gives investors more options when it comes to deciding what assets to tap first to maximize and extend their longevity of a retirement portfolio. Especially when the market in decline, Social Security is the only instrument that lasts as long as you do, goes up with inflation as we just saw, and there are no commissions or fees, and you can never run out. Well, that's okay if it keeps up with inflation. But basically over the years, this is one of the big jumps, but Social Security has not really kept up with the rising cost of living. We always run the numbers to show to clients all of their options when they come in deciding when to start benefits. If you wait until age 70, you'll be able to grow your benefits by 8% a year, which means you earn roughly an extra $100,000 tax-free by age 70. So we have very much encouraged waiting for the higher benefit. In fact, with that waiting, those are the people that have waited this year, that's a 16% increase that they're going to be seeing if they waited till after their age, their full retirement age, which in most cases has been 66, now 67. But for couples who both have earned Social Security benefits, a lot of times we like to look at options and the feelings of the client dictate what they want to do with their smaller benefit. There are definitely clients who feel that they do not want to cash in their investments with stocks down 25%. So looking at choices is very important. If your portfolio is down 25%, it gets back to even in three years, there'll be even the 8% growth in Social Security benefits that accrue if you wait till age 70. So again, one of those options you might want to think about, waiting till age 70 when you get out there if you can. So for some people, especially those who have spouses with richer Social Security benefits, tapping their own lesser benefit early can make sense, especially if they can invest the proceeds. When you have couples who will both retire early, sometimes a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush because it can make sense for one to claim early to get an income stream started and invest the monthly payment using a strategic investment strategy. Tapping Social Security benefits on one spouse can also mean that less income they need to take from their portfolio, even if they're actively investing the benefit, so it can work out with similar benefits. You find that when the clients retire earlier, that they expect to live longer than they estimate. To help them understand that the cost of these likelihoods, we run their Social Security and longevity projections to show them how much waiting till age 70 to claim benefits will provide. We also encourage clients to run their own life expectancy numbers on www.longevityillustrator.org, which produces eye-opening results. What's important is that it's based on math and science and not feelings. Feelings regarding longevity are always wrong. The projections can also help keep you from jumping the gun on claiming their Social Security benefits early, when often they do not need to. Calculating joint life expectancy using the tools that are available is particularly eye-opening for couples. You can say that you'll live to age 75, your spouse may live to 80, but typically one partner will live three to five years longer, and we can help people plan for that. So that is something we really enjoy doing, is sitting down and going through these Social Security projections. Again, it's something we can help you with. Give us a call, 360-733-1200. Dick Donahue, be right back. My name is Marcus Vierta, and I manage a small business here in Whatcom County called Western Solar. Every day I see firsthand the impact good jobs have on the lives of people. Sharon Shoemake is an economist and a mom who brings practical, real-life experience to the state Senate. I became an economist to help people. Now I'm running for state Senate to fix our broken housing market, create jobs, lower taxes on working people, and build an economy that works for everyone. Paid for by People for Sharon, Democrat. 
bullying. It's a real problem. Studies show nationwide over 20% of students experience bullying on a daily basis at school or on social media. Don't be a bystander. Become an upstander. Someone who takes action. It only takes one person to make a big difference. When bystanders become upstanders, it not only helps the targets of bullying, it also shows other bystanders how to take action to prevent or address bullying. A great place to start is the website stopbullying.gov, where you can learn how to recognize bullying and how to stop it. Join Cascade Radio Group and Launching Success in the fight against bullying. Launching Success is your local source for help on how to talk with your child about bullying. They have children's books, workbooks, and games to learn what bullies, victims, and bystanders act like and how you can get in and out of sticky situations. Launching Success, Whatcom County's largest educational toy store, where play and learning collide. Shop in-store, call in your order for pickup, have it delivered, or shop online at launchingsuccess.com. A conservative take on issues important to Whatcom County and the Pacific Northwest. This sounds crazy that you're going to tell the schools you must do extra service for those kids with learning difficult. But when it comes to especially gifted kids, we can't give them special classes because it doesn't include a sufficient percentage of kids of color. Yes, that's what's actually happening in Washington State. Lars Larson, noon to three each weekday on KGMI. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning here on KGMI. It's Dick Donahue with you. If you got questions for us, give us a call. 360-733-1200. Well, we talked about Social Security a little bit, those increases. Let's also talk once again about what's new for Medicare open enrollment. And most beneficiaries don't switch plans during the annual enrollment period, but retirees can save money by reviewing their drug coverage options. So let's cover that with more detail. Medicare's open enrollment period has begun. It is time of year starting before Halloween and stretching into early jingle bell season when ads for Medicare plans saturate the airwaves and stuff mailboxes. You would think everyone 65 or older was faced with a crucial, time-sensitive decision. Not true. The majority of Medicare beneficiaries are enrolled in Original Medicare, Parts A and B, and most of them also have a supplemental insurance plan, often called Medigap. If we're happy with their coverage, they don't need to make changes during Medicare Open Enrollment, which runs October 15th through December 7th each year. In fact, most Medicare beneficiaries don't switch plans during the Medicare Open Enrollment. Seven out of ten beneficiaries don't even compare their coverage options during a recent Open Enrollment period, according to Kaiser Family Foundation. But most people who are enrolled in the original Medicare also buy optional prescription drug coverage, known as Medicare Plan D. If you have a Medicare Advantage plan or Part D plan, the Medicare Rights Center recommends that you review all of your coverage options, even if you're happy with your current coverage, because plans change their costs and benefits each year. It may be tempting simply to let your plan renew, but if you don't spend a little time comparing your options, you may be missing out on opportunities to save money. Doing a research during open enrollment can help ensure that you don't pay too much in premiums or miss out on a plan that would lower your out-of-pocket costs at the pharmacy. Most people will pay $164.90 per month for Medicare Part B this next year, which is a slight decrease, but high-income retirees are also going to pay more. Each year, Medicare beneficiaries can review their coverage options and change plans during the open enrollment period. Those with traditional Medicare can compare and switch Medicare Part D standalone drug plans. However, it might be tough to switch from a Medicare Advantage plan to original Medicare because Medicare often open enrollment isn't a guaranteed issue opportunity to enroll or change supplemental Medigap plans. Beneficiaries can apply for Medigap coverages anytime, but eligibility is only guaranteed during the initial six-month enrollment period. After that, eligibility can be based on a person's medical history, meaning that you can be denied coverage or pay more for a Medigap policy. 
know, you can call your state insurance commissioner assistance program or find out whether you may have the right to purchase a Medigap policy during this open enrollment. What options you have and what consumer protections your state provides. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had an interview with Bill Tetro, who happens to be upstairs, has an organization called Northwest Options that does these supplements. You can give our office a call if you want to get his phone number. We do highly recommend Bill. He does a great job. But the Medicare Rights Center recommends that Medicare beneficiaries read their annual change of notice, or ANOC, document that they should have received from their Medicare Advantage or Part D plan providers at the end of September. It will list changes in your plan, such as premium and co-pays, and will compare the benefits of 23 with those of 22. Your plan may send your ANOC in email rather than a hard copy in the mail. And review your ANOC and pay particular attention to the summary of new list of coverage drugs for 23 called Formulary. You can use the online plan finder tool at www.medicare.gov. That's www.medicare.gov. That is the online plan finder tool to select the best plan for your needs. You can also call 1-800-MEDICARE to find out which Medicare Advantage and Part D plans are available in your area. Don't base your decision on price alone. Check to see whether the plan you're considering covers all the medications you should take. Spouses don't need to buy the same plan. They should choose the best plan based on their individual needs. And starting in 2023, co-pays for insulin for all beneficiaries will be limited to $35 a month. This applies to all insulin coverage by a beneficiary Part D plan under Medicare Part B, which pays for doctor's fees and outpatient services. However, because the insulin copay is limited as new, it won't be reflected in the Medicare Plan Finder tool. The Medicare Rights Centers urges people who use insulin to choose a plan based on the price of all other medications that they take and separately confirm that their preferred insulin is on that plan's formulary, so something for you to consider there. And we're seeing investment scams are surging, targeting the elderly. A new government agency report says they said false promises of romance and bogus cryptocurrency investments were the two ripoffs which extracted the most money from an elderly Americans last year. A federal agency said this week state securities regulators are seeing similar trends and the tactics are sometimes combined. The Federal Trade Commission announced that older adults lost $147 million to investment scams in 21, up 213% from 2020. The scams included investment seminars and advice, stocks and commodity futures trading, art, gems, and rare coral investments, and crypto was also a major culprit. This increase is driven in large part by a surge in reports of losses in cryptocurrency investment scams, the FTC report to Congress states. The median individual loss for people aged 60 and older was $6,800 per incident of investment-related fraud, according to the FTC. Next highest was $5,100 per individual for romance scams. The median loss for all fraud reports for the age group was $685. The elderly were vulnerable online, where they lost a total of $341 million. Of that amount, $72 million was attributed to investment fraud, while romance ripoffs accounted to $137 million. State securities regulators reported a 70% jump in fraud related to digital assets in 2021, according to an enforcement report issued in September by the North American Securities Administration Association. We're seeing the same increase in crypto ripoffs and the need to investigate and take action, said Andrew Hartnett, who's Deputy Commissioner of the Iowa Insurance Division and President of NASA. The bear market is adding crypto fraudsters, said Amanda Sen, Deputy Director of the Alabama Securities Commissions. They convince elderly targets who are worried about running out of money in retirement that crypto can give them a better future. They're describing crypto as the thing to invest in because people are getting rich, Sen said. Sometimes romance is tied to crypto and scams. It is what's called pig butchering. A crypto scammer lures an elderly victim by sending messages through social media platforms. The perpetrator uses an attractive photo for his profile. Once a relationship is established, the scammer talks to the target about crypto investments and sets up a fake account. He then provides a sample return to entice greater investment in the ripoff. Once the victim is hooked, 
scammer takes more money. We've had investors lose hundreds of thousands of dollars since said. The number of elderly Americans who fall victim to fraudulent investments is probably underreported, as the FTC report notes. This is why investment scams targeting older Americans continue to have full attention of state securities regulators, Hartnett said. Almost three dozen states have adopted the NASA model of rule for senior financial exploitation. Under the rule, states received 1,428 reports of suspected abuse in 21, up 35% from 2020 and 118% from 2019. And state regulators opened 365 investigations last year, 57% increase from 2020 and a 98% increase from 2008. And on close today, I'm going to talk about America's suicidal energy policy has real costs. Saudi Arabia recently announced its conjunction with OPEC Plus that it's going to be cutting oil production in the face of dropping prices. That decision came in spite of President Biden's White House lobbying in favor of increased production, which included a visit by President Biden to Saudi Arabia Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. In response, the Saudi announcement, the White House quickly announced that the United States would be reevaluating its relationship with the kingdom. Meanwhile, they also announced they'd be preparing to scale down sanctions on Venezuela's tyrannical regime, according to the Wall Street Journal. The goal increased oil production from the Marxist dictatorship via loosened restrictions on pumping for Chevron. The White House continues to keep channels open with Iranian mullahs as well, soliciting concessions from the same regime that shoots women in the street for failing to properly wear Islamic head coverings. There is an obvious question to be asked. In face of this random and chaotic noun strategy, why precisely doesn't the Biden administration just ramp up energy production by unleashing the power of American's oil industry? Once again, I heard the White House press secretary this week talk about the 9,000 leases that are out there that aren't being developed. But what she didn't say is if you develop it, they won't let you put in a pipeline to move it. So why develop it? After all, America is still the world's leading producer of oil and natural gas. They have billions of dollars of investment sitting on the sidelines. Refineries have been dropping offline. Energy companies transitioning away from precise forms of fuel that actually power the globe. The answer is just as obvious. This administration is far more tied to its ideological predilections than to reality. Actually, reality actually actively angers this administration when it fosters a foolish policy and predictably dire results will follow. The administration's response is to peak off the cause and effect relationship. This administration pursues green energy boondoggles when begging for energy from America's foes, watches those foes hold Europe hostage in the midst of potential nuclear standoff, and then, of, of course, yells about how crew Cruel our foes are in cutting off energy and supplies to our allies. This is both unproductive and geopolitically embolic. But at least it makes the leaders of the free world feel warm and fuzzy inside. If America's enemies gain comparative power, at least we'll have comfort in, in snootily lecturing these enemies on the certainty of their political isolation. As State Department Senior Advisor for Energy Secretary Amos Hochstein recently stated, low-income companies have seen the Saudi Arabia and Russia are colliding against them. Odd, then, that low-income countries are disproportionately siding with Russia and Saudi Arabia. Ben Dick Donahue with you with Wake Up here on KGMI. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Don't forget our live show on Saturdays at 11 o'clock. Got questions for us? Give us a call, 360-733-1200. Thank you for listening. voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.